All right. Okay. Here we go. And welcome to What is Love Actually with Beth Amon and Patrick Flynn. I'm Beth Amon. And I'm Patrick Flynn. And this is the podcast where we try to discover just what the 2003 Christmas romantic comedy Love Actually is. By taking it apart. And putting it back together again. So this episode, as our first episode, we're going to kind of introduce a lot of things. So many things. So many things. Uh, But we're going to start right at the very beginning, which as... Oscar Hammerstein told us is a very good place to start, mm-hmm. and uh, and that is with the man who wrote the movie, directed the movie, the, the man, man who behind, did this, the to man us. who did this to us, <laughs> Richard Curtis himself. But before that, before we get into Richard Curtis, I want to ask you, Beth, mm-hmm. how did you come to love actually? I truly have no real recollection. Good it's story. Just, I know. Thank you. <laughs> it's always just been one of those Christmas movies that you watched around Christmas time. I tried to ask my friends from high school if they remember seeing it because it came in theater, came out in theaters before we would have been allowed to go see it. Mm-hmm. And none of them had any striking memory either. But it's one of the movies that if it's on TV, I'll watch it. I enjoy it. I don't have like super, super strong opinions about it, uh, which I think will change by the end of this journey. Yes, yeah, so we're going to watch this movie a lot uh, mm-hmm. over the next 12 episodes. I uh, So I saw it in the theater. I was old enough to see it in the theater with my wife um, and we then girlfriend, now wife. And uh, we, re- we enjoyed it. Um, I remember sort of thinking like, yeah, that's good. Yeah. And then it was suddenly <laughs> the Christmas movie. Like mm-hmm. it was in, in that way that you know, they put out a lot of Christmas movies every year, even back in the early 2000s. And they don't all stick. You know, they kind of all fade no. away. This one stuck, I think, because of the cast. Like you say, if you and the, the fractured plots, if you throw You've it You've got up, a lot. You're casting a wide net. And you're you can, really hoping for appeal. And if you pick this up on TV, you can kind of join it wherever because you're going to join probably at the breaking point of a plot. So it's like picking up a, a movie, yeah. a TV show after the commercial. So it's like, no, oh, I know sense. where we are in this movie. You know, you can kind of jump in at any point. There's and you're not... just, if you only get a little bit of the vignette, then great. Yeah, that's That was fun. If it's just Laura Linney why dancing. Are, I was going to say, why great. are they in a pond? Who right. knows? <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Okay. <laughs> we don't. This, this one's not about the pond. So, <laughs> but so this is the, another thing to, to tell everybody is how we decided to do this, mm-hmm. this podcast about this movie yeah. that people almost 20 years later still talk about yeah. like it just came out. And like, still write articles about mm-hmm. as if like, oh my gosh, we've figured it out. Right. This is a terrible film. Like, <laughs> Did you figure it out? <laughs> this, I think last year, the, all the hot takes were, no, it's actually a good film. Mm-hmm. Like that was, like, I don't know if they alternate years or it's every other. You, you know, know, you have to decide have to which year, which, which side, side you're on. on. Mm-hmm. And then... There's always lists ranking which plot lines are the best, which love stories are the best, which yeah. characters are the best. There's just so much in this movie. And I I really want to know, is this a good movie? Is it a bad movie? Is it a stain on our like collective unconscious? Or is it just like whatever? I, I feel like the answer is going to no matter what 
be por que no los dos. Um, <laughs> because I, I think we're going to get a different opinion every, every time. Every time. It does seem Even as way. we go through this, watching it and rewatching it, some days I'm like, oh, wow, this was like a delightful thing that I needed right now. Mm-hmm. And then other times I'm watching it going, what in the heck did I just Yeah, why did watch? I agree, right? To... And then other times I'm just bopping around singing Christmas is all around us. Yeah, we feel it in your fingers mm-hmm. and in your toes. Mm-hmm. In each episode, we're going to be taking one of the nine storylines and we're going to get some guests on and we're going to watch it and we're going to dig in into that storyline specifically. Mm-hmm. We are also, we found two two people... Two we whole humans. We scoured the earth and we found did. two humans who had never seen this movie before. And it took the emails we sent, the blast emails we sent to people being like, has anyone not seen Love Actually before? And you'd get responses of people being like, I have and I love it. We're like, you're not That's who we not want. That's what I asked you for. I well, then mean... there were people who said they hadn't seen it. And then we discovered they had seen it. They just forgot what yeah. it was called, which is always fun. Be like, oh, yeah, right, yeah. that movie. And in fact, one of the guys we got on that episode. We were concerned that he had seen it, but forgot. he had seen it. <laughs> Turned out he hadn't. It worked out really well. It worked out great. <laughs> um, and then after, so we'll do that. that they watch the whole movie with us. We then have uh, other guests for each of the nine segments where we take mm-hmm. the movie apart. And then at the end, we're going to come back together, you and me, and we're going to talk about what we learned oh. and see what kind of movie this is. See what's what. See how British it is mm-hmm. and see, you know. What kind of Christmas classic or yeah, where it where falls it on fall? that spectrum. We're going to rate the movie on several different scales. It's going to be it's going to be great. And we're glad you're here to join us. And we're starting, as the title of this episode has told you, and as I said at the beginning of this episode, with the man himself. Richard Curtis, writer, director, and perennial, I mean, every article you read about this, he is the, if it's a negative article, he's the central figure. If it's a positive article, he doesn't always come, he comes up, but he's not always the, the yeah, attack point. Yeah, but it definitely has like a Richard Curtis brand yes. that has evolved. It has, Which yeah. is great for him as a career move, that there are movies associated with him as like, this is a Richard Curtis film. Right. Like, that's very exciting. And it kind of it was a brand that kind of peaked with this movie. I yeah, think. I agree. It, it was one he this is the fourth film in his series in a of rapid romantic succession. comedies. Yeah. And after this he did do other romantic comedies, but this is the one I think that's like the apex of his yeah. romantic comedy. And I also movie. have a hot take that I don't think he should have been doing romantic comedies yes, to begin with. We will get to that. Beth, what is your experience with Richard Curtis before uh, I, I said, do you know who Richard Curtis is to you one day? <laughs> um, I'd seen Love Actually, and I'd seen a couple other of his films, but I had no uh, like strong sense no strong of opinions. who this person was or if I liked their body of work. And that is now Or that they changed. had a body of work. Yeah. Possibly. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So we came at this from slightly different angles. Um, Richard Curtis is one... He's one of my favorite television writers. I'm going to put that qualifier. That's a very good differentiation. Richard Curtis is, without question, one of the most important writers in the history of British television. That is undeniable, and we'll get into his specific credits, and you will understand why. That is that is just a, a statement of fact. But for me personally, he was a writer who. I kept watching his stuff not knowing he did it and Mm -hmm. then discovering, oh, these disparate things I like are all written by the same Ah. person. And that breeds a certain kind of fandom, especially in somebody who wants to be a writer. It's like, oh, gosh, this guy's really good. And in his TV work, it's important to make that distinction. There is a chameleon-esque quality 
to his TV writing that does not exist in his movie writing mm-hmm. that makes, which is something I would love to emulate the ability to be like, Oh, the commonality between these things are they're all funny and they're all good. It's but not they're funny because he used because this type it's the of same joke sort of bit over. over and over yeah. again. Yeah, that is in his TV work, but not in his romantic comedy. Not in his film work, uh, which we will also talk about in, in detail today. But so, just some quick background on uh, Mr. Curtis. He mm-hmm. was uh, born in New Zealand, which is fun, and lived all over the the world with his uh, his father was a Czechoslovakian refugee. Um, and he lived in Australia and in other parts of Europe, including Sweden and the Philippines, which is not in Europe, before he moved to uh, Great Britain when he was around 11. Which is also now not a part of Europe. But that, oh, <laughs> topical. Look at that. Next, well, he went to Christchurch Ox- in Oxford University and was a scholarship boy before that. He is a t- tremendous uh, intellect, it would seem to me. But it was at Oxford that he met Rowan Atkinson. Mr. Bean. Mr. Bean himself. And along with Rowan Atkinson, uh, they did... Edinburgh Fringe together. He then wrote a radio series for Rowan Atkinson in 1978 called The Atkinson People, which I've been trying to find clips of to no success. Um, And he was a writer on other sketch comedy shows like Not the Nine O'Clock News. He wrote a hit single in 1980 in Britain. How did I miss this part of our notes? A Bee Gees (gasps) parody uh, called by a band called the He He BGBs. That's perfect. And the song is called Meaningless Songs in Very High Voices, which I will play a clip (laughs) of right now. Golden rays of golden sun fall on your golden hat And I brush aside the golden sheet and see you golden that And I wonder what you and I are going to do all that But I can't think of anything I want to do faster And so I'll have to do what I did yesterday There are two series in particular he's known for creating and co-writing, the first of which is Blackadder. Right, Maury. Let's try again, shall we? This is called adding. If I have two beans, and then I add two more beans, what do I have? Some beans. (laughs) Yes. And no. Let's try again, shall we? I have two beans, then I add two more beans. What does that make? A very small casserole. Yes. To you, Baldrick, the Renaissance was just something that happened to other people, wasn't it? Which you've not seen. I watched a few episodes. Okay. Yeah. Um, Blackadder's Rowan Atkinson's series. It ran for four series uh, and a couple specials between 1983 and 2004 and was voted in 2004 the second best British sitcom ever. Mm -hmm. Um, It is an amazingly funny show it is irreverent and weird and historical and stars Rowan Atkinson, Hugh Laurie, Stephen mm, Fry. Yeah. I do think all of these films though and all of his work is just like uh who's who of the British actors that I know that have yes. made it to America. It is often it is often joked but I I feel not actually that much of a joke that there are only 6 actors in Britain 
Mm-hmm. Um, this, this this does nothing to to disavow. No, that. not at all. Uh, in t- terms of common themes across all his stuff, you could just say the people. The people are in it. Yes. I also have discovered once again that I only know most of these British actors by their Harry Potter character yes, names. Yes, which is totally fair. So just and there's shows a lot of them. At what point I'm coming from? Yes. So I'm watching Bridget Jones's diary and thinking, Slughorn, oh, you're so is, sad. He is very sad in that movie. But then in 19, so then he did in 1994, he had his major Hollywood breakthrough with Four Weddings and a Funeral, which we will come back to, mm-hmm. and it will be a thing. It sure will be. And also that same year, he wrote his other series uh, that he's most well known for, uh, The Vicar of Dibley. You know that stuff that they're selling now at the local shop? Which stuff? I can't believe it's not butter. <laughs> oh, yes. Well, you know, I can't believe it's not butter. <laughs> Yeah, well, I believe that is the idea, yeah. Then yesterday, um, I went to Crookenden and I bought this other stuff, like a sort of home brand, you know. Yes. And, you know, I can't believe it's not... I can't believe it's not... <laughs> really? I'm losing you now. <laughs> from 1994 to 2007, and was voted the third best British sitcom in that same poll in which Blackadder came number second. Number two and number three. I believe Faulty Towers was four. The number one show is a show called Only Fools and Horses, which, if you watch clips of it online, is the most British (laughs) sitcom I've ever seen in my life. They're lower class, like, accents. These guys are all, like, little hustlers trying to get small-time jobs in the country. It is very funny, but it is very British. And it's that, like, oh, of course, that's the number one show. That is the most British show. Then came Notting Hill, which we will also be talking about today in 1999. Same what year, a journey. Same year Fight Club came out. Then in 2001. <laughs> what a comparison. <laughs> it's, it's Notting Hill Fight Club. These are the weirdest things stick in my head. Uh, and then in 2001, he uh, wrote, co-wrote the screen, the adaptation of um, Bridget Jones' Diary. I do think the co-wrote part of that is also yes. important. Along with Andrew Davies, who's another British comedian, uh, comic writer, and Helen Fielding, who wrote the novel. Mm-hmm. Because as we get into talking about each of the films, there's a... Uh, there's stuff. a feminine voice that I would say and, is missing from and this is also some. where like I said his TV work one of the things I loved about it was that you couldn't tell that like you would never if you watch Vicar Dibley and Blackadder you would never necessarily know mm-hmm. they're written by the same person but I think his influence on the screenplay for Bridget Jones Diary is undeniable and oh. readily identifiable oh, totally. once you know this is somewhat of a Richard Curtis joint. Well, yeah. And I mean, that's based on a book in the way that Notting Hill and Four Weddings are not. Right. And he is adapting other material. Yeah. Yes, which is important. And then it came in Love Actually, which will be you know, all the other Never heard of it. Never talked about it. And I then since Love Actually, he's on a lot of things. He co-founded Comic Relief in Britain, which is still going on. He wrote and directed two more movies, The Boat That Rocked, which is called Pirate Radio in the States, and About Time, which is a movie that neither Beth and I have seen, but are very <laughs> interested very in watching intrigued. after a lot of reading we've done. <laughs> He then wrote screenplays for Bridget Jones 2, uh, Steven Spielberg's War Horse, which really made me laugh. That is so weird. He has a story credit on the Mamma Mia sequel. That is weirder. Which means he wrote the first draft of the screenplay, probably, and they like didn't use it, but they used his some of it. But also, like, it's and not it's just like, Mamma Mia. It's Mamma Mia, Mia, Here We, we go, go Again. again. It's the Mama. sequel. And he most recently uh, wrote the film Yesterday, directed by Danny Boyle, where which takes place in the universe where the Beatles don't exist, and which Beth has not seen, and I refuse to watch. Uh, I'll watch it. He won. Uh, well, not watch it. He won an Emmy in. I'll tell you about 2006 it. for a, a TV movie called The Girl in the Cafe, which was which was really good. Um, 
and uh, yeah, that's all the notable stuff we've got on Richard Curtis. Not yet a knight, uh, but a distinct, like I say. Do you think he'll ever become a knight? I'm not sure how. Like, what's the that application works. process there? Someone has to. I know someone has to put. Well, listen, here's the thing Ringo Starr is a knight. It took him till he was 80, but oh, he's crap. a knight. I don't. How long has Paul McCartney been a knight? He's been a knight since the 90s. Wow, so they picked their favorite Beatle, obviously. Well, you wanted, one of the reasons, sidebar, one yeah. of the reasons that Paul McCartney got knighted so soon. Um, he saved and made him from a tower. Is no, that'd be great though, wouldn't that it? That would be fun. It, sort of, actually, kind of. Oh, because unlike literally every other entertainer in, so Bob McCartney, at one, when he got knighted, and for most of the nineties and two thousands, was the richest entertainer in the world. He had he had the most money, really, because he's in music publishing in addition to everything else. Oh, and fair. ironically, not the Beatles' music, but like he bought publishing catalogs of like buddy holly like all these artists and like was very fair about it would give the survivors or the artists a cut and he would take another cut and he has this thing called mpl communications but what made him what made his number remarkable is the fact that he kept all his money in england every other entertainer in the world becomes a tax exile and keeps all their money in switzerland because britain has so has such high taxes Mm -hmm. um because of the welfare state and i'm a big fan of that but he, uh, so, but he kept his money in England. So since he was keeping his money in England, paying all that tax, and still was the wealthiest entertainer in the world, they yeah. said, for all that tax, we thank you. And they gave him a knighthood. So you're telling me you can buy your way into knighthood. But through taxes. Fair. Which is pretty great. <laughs> right? Like you're paying taxes. Great. It's a new plan. Become new plan, incredibly become wealthy. Incredibly wealthy. Put all your money in England. But you have to be. Money. You imagine how much money you have to have. Like how much money he no, would have had. No, I cannot fathom that. It's so much money. Uh, I debated today if I should buy dinner because I paid for parking. <laughs> so no, I cannot fathom that. So how do we get on? Po- oh, will Richard Crispy Night? So the answer to me is possibly. Who's to say? The answer is possibly. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe, maybe not. We'll He's certainly a not. I mean, having founded Comic Relief, which is a huge charitable organization, yeah. he is not generally a controversial figure in the sense that he doesn't go out and say and do overtly controversial things. Yeah, I don't think in the public eye. From what I've read, and you will definitely correct me if I've missed something, but he doesn't seem to be like a bad dude. He just has a very interesting way of writing about relationships that really borders on like, are you a sexist? I cannot tell. Ooh, and we will get into that in a second. In mm-hmm. fact, we're going to get into it right now. We're going to go through three his three big romantic comedies before uh, Love Actually, which are mm-hmm. Four Weddings and a Funeral, Notting Hill, and Bridget Jones' Diary. And we're actually going to do them backwards mm-hmm. chronologically for reasons you will understand, dear listener, when we get to Four Weddings and a Funeral, I think. And I apologize in advance for the 800 times I'm going to say <laughs> Notting Hill when I mean Four Weddings it's because they're all the same in so many ways. They are. Yeah, yes and no. Yes. 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 And, and no. <laughs> yes. But yes, I'm yes ending that. So we're going to talk first about Bridget Jones' diary. Renee Zellweger, Hugh Grant, Colin Firth, Bridget Jones's diary. Bridget Jones, wanton sex goddess. Dad. Hi. 2001, directed by Shannon McGuire, currently holds an 80% on Rotten Tomatoes. I will say the Rotten Tomatoes, which we'll say for each, was interesting yeah. to me because they got lower and lower and lower as you went on in his, in like, his filmography. Right. Which is Rotten Tomatoes. But we're still at like a sensible C. Right. Well, Rotten, Toma- Rotten Tomatoes, 
for movies pre 2000, I'll be generous and say 2008 mm-hmm. or even 2006 isn't really reliable to me because people going on and rating the movies as they're coming out will give you a much more accurate reflection. Than like, going oh, back and feeling funeral. nostalgic about it. Right. Yeah. It was, was regarded as a classic movie. It was nominated for Best Picture. The people who went to rate it are fans of it or mm-hmm. hate it, but there's no middle of the road There's not someone who that. just saw it yeah, and exactly has right. some feels. Exactly right. So yeah. the further away you get from the internet age, the less reliable those ratings are to me. Mm-hmm. And Bridget Jones' Diary being 2001 is 80% seems... That seemed, might seem about right to me. It, yeah. it was. It was very. It was a huge hit. Uh, if you if you weren't alive or don't remember, uh, Renee Zellweger, who was a controversial choice for the role of Bridget Jones, since the book was, I was working in Walden Books in the Concord Mall in Wilmington, Delaware at the time this book came out. It was a massive book. I mean, yeah. a, like absolutely massive book. She was a very controversial choice to play Bridget because Jones of because her she's figure. not British and because she was rail thin yeah. in everything she'd done before. She gained twenty five pounds. And it was seems like, oh God, she's gotten so fat. And I look yeah. at her like I do. The I whole look- time it's like hundred and thirty five pounds. And like that is the but size of my thigh. I look like- at her, but I'm also just like, you look great. She looks beautiful. <laughs> she looks wonderful. She was nominated for an Oscar, a BAFTA, Golden Globe, a SAG Award, and other things for Best Actress. And that she year. got none of them. Uh no. Richard Curtis, Andrew Davies and Helen Fielding were nominated for the BAFTA for Best Adapted Screenplay. They didn't win that either. It was also nominated for Best Picture at BAFTA's Golden Globes and a few other things. Mm-hmm. Bridget Jones' Diary. Mm-hmm. Where were you at, Beth Amon? Like when I first saw it? So you'd it? never seen it before? Uh, no, I'd seen Bridget okay. Jones before. So all of these movies we're going to talk about, I have seen either bits and pieces of or in its entirety at some point in my high school to adult life. Mm-hmm. Now, none of these had made that much of an impression on me that I could tell you exactly where and when I was when I saw it. Or but, even which one's which. Or, you know, Bridget Jones I can differentiate because right. it's got a it lady lead. It is the most different hit. Yes, it's true. Um, Bridget Jones I had seen all the way through and I do remember um, liking it and enjoying it. And in terms of the three we're discussing, this was my favorite. Mm. And I think a part of that is I feel both seen and personally attacked yeah, you said that. Being a 28-year-old woman at the time of watching this mm-hmm. um, and feeling like... She's 32. She's 32, right? okay. but it's this same thing of like, well, like, are you bringing someone home to the holidays? And mm-hmm. like, so you go through a breakup and all of a sudden it's like, I'm going to be really great and I'm going to write down all the things and I'm going to improve my life. And like, it just feels like... It is targeting a certain demographic of woman who definitely feels these things in some way, but the way it is presented, I found myself getting so angry that instead of being like, you know what, you don't need a man, you don't need this, just have your time with your friends and improve yourself for the sake of improving yourself, it all felt like very much through the male gaze. But at Mm. the same time, I'm watching this and I'm loving like her singing all by myself in the beginning of the movie. I was like, I've literally done that. That is amazing. And seeing so many things that I'm like, I relate to this. I relate to this, but then feeling just a little bit cranky with it. overall. It is 20 years old. Yes. Almost. It is. And it felt it. Mm -hmm. I've seen this movie five or six times. I I agreed to go see it when it came out because I agreed because Richard Curtis wrote it. I don't like this movie. Yeah. It's sort of where I ended up. I Why? I don't like it. Be- well, so one one of the problems is, is my own, which is that 
and this is a theme in all these movies we're going to talk about, I have a real problem with embarrassment humor. Like watching somebody squirm. Like watching someone else feel embarrassed and you're supposed to be championing that character, championing that That character. That the humor comes from the fact that that person is making a fool of, like how much the scene like where she introduces Mr. Fitzherbert at the party. And here to introduce it (laughs) properly (laughs) is uh, the man we all call... uh, (laughs) Tits Perfect. Mr. Tits Perfect. Mr. It's perfect. Fitz Herbert. Uh, because that is his name. Being embarrassed is a real thing with me. I've discovered actually as I've gotten older, it's like an actual problem. Like oh. The, it is, it is a, like, I, I cannot stand the idea of anyone being embarrassed, least of all me, but like anyone embarrassed. That's why oh. like, practical jokes make me furious. I think that there's just something about it that drives me nuts. And this movie Well, then this is, movie is your nightmare. That's what I'm saying. It's full of it's these It's all about, of let's like, look at Bridget be a kind of bumbling, yeah. not good enough, professional and, person, all the things. And even when she gets good, there's always this feeling that at any moment she's going to do something wrong, which is part mm-hmm. of the tension of the movie. Like, it's... it's it, All this is on purpose. Oh, it's yeah. Like, I don't think it's an accidental. Even up to, like, the point where she has the big uh, interview with the famous um yeah. the famous guy cuz Colin Firth arranges is the character's I name I believe that is the character's name yeah and she like turns her whole life around like her whole career and everything like yeah. kicks into high gear you're waiting for there the is next there's still that moment during that interview even knowing how it's all going to turn out that like she's going to say something she's not supposed to say mm-hmm. and I'm going to fu- and she and part of the joy of that scene is she doesn't she gets through it she's yeah. charming when she says like and Eleanor over to you did you fancy Kaffir the first time that you saw him? You see her going on the character journey that she has set out for herself that you want her to achieve by yes. having this diary and tracking her her behaviors and all of her habits. Like you want her to win that. But at the same time, you just you're mad she hasn't done it already. Yeah, I really I also don't there's a lot of stuff in the movie that is romantic comedy fodder that I feel is superfluous. Which is funny because the movie's barely a hundred minutes long, but this is the shortest movie we did like, of all these movies, mm-hmm. and that finale is one of them. Her like him looking in the diary, the fake out of Darcy looking in the diary. I think it's weak. Walking out. I think it's a weak storyline. No, he's not gonna like. That's not who he is. We know that's not who he is. I. I, I think my issue there is different because oh, okay. him going and coming back with the diary, like yeah. when you finally figure that. I don't think he would do that. It's not that I think he, he would leave. I think he would leave. Oh, that's funny. I, I don't think it's that he wouldn't storm away because he just his line is just like, oh, well, right then. And then right. it's a total. It's just like an acceptance and just kind of leaves. And I think maybe based on what we know, he would say something. But the idea that he then goes to buy her a new diary is bull. That is nonsense. That is complete that and utter is nonsense. nonsense. But the, the, I don't think he'd leave because he she has the thing this movie has, the, the two scenes that it mirrors from Pride and Prejudice in a modern way, which are great, are when they tell each other that they like each other mm-hmm. and that they do it in this super insulting way. Mm-hmm. And like when she says to him, You once said that you like me just as I am, and I just wanted to say, likewise. I mean, you wear stupid things your mum buys you, 
Tonight's another classic. <laughs> You're haughty and you always say the wrong thing in every situation. And I seriously believe that you should rethink the length of your sideburns. You're a nice man and I like you. If you wanted to pop by sometime, that might be nice. more than nice you know we could also make and i will make this claim that it doesn't make sense that they like each other for any reason at all because i think one of the crux of all of these richard yeah. curtis films is that the relationships are based in nothing that they like each other for the idea of liking someone not because there's actual substance to their relationship i mean i get why she likes him do to a certain extent well because at least he's done nice things for her Okay, fair. You know what I mean? I don't understand, though, what it is about her, because he does not like her when he first meets her, because it's a romantic comedy, but she doesn't do things to endear, like, because in, for example... I mean, well, what, so, are the, what are the nice things that he's done for her? Like, Well, making, getting the interview is a big kick. That, and, like, coming over and making the dinner. And also, yes, coming over and saving the dinner. But up until that, there isn't... There aren't shining examples of kindness. Well, because but the thing is, like by that point, he's supposed to be enamored with her, and we don't know why. So, like since since there's no, since we haven't built that bridge properly, Mm -hmm. the other bridge doesn't make sense. You know what I mean? Like the back and forth doesn't make sense. Like a bridge, which is what they all call her. Uh Bridge. Um, Hi, bridge. Hi, bridge. Uh, Moaning Myrtle's calling you from the bathroom. (laughs) I was waiting, so I watched this one last. Right. So did I. And. I like just had this thing. I was like, I know Moaning Myrtle is in one of these movies. I can't remember which. And so I was watching the whole time and it was so satisfying to have the first moment you see the yeah, actress who plays Moaning Myrtle bathroom. crying in the bathroom. Mm-hmm. I was like, ha ha. There it is. I didn't there make this she up. Is. She's it's here. So good. It's I, in terms of like you were saying earlier, the idea that you were feeling uncomfortable when people were being embarrassed, I felt so uncomfortable watching Bridget have to listen to her parents try and get back together. That's the mm-hmm. part that made me feel like, oh no, is this gonna work out? I hope so. I didn't really care if it worked out either. Was my really, other thing. I really didn't. I I think maybe it's more. She was presented as su- her mother is presented as such an absurd character. She is, but I and... also think playing into the mother daughter relationship of mm. like your mom calls you to see how you're doing, and like my mom is nowhere like this character at all, and there is this idea of like moms are calling to be like, oh, like, well, what's going on in your life and what's going on this way? Right. And it becomes intrusive. Uh, right. And so you definitely see that with their relationship. And it's something that just by nature of like being a girl and having a mother is relatable. One thing that struck me with this was the idea of having to start having a grown up relationship with your mom, where mm-hmm. you learn things about like your parents' relationships and you learn things about how your parents like, are actual humans who have feelings outside of um, just like being your parent. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, I don't think it does a great job of emulating it, but I think it's a universal enough feeling that I was like, ah, I see you. When she comes back, like I don't get why they got back together. I I think it's just because he's 
Slughorn is a sad man who needs his wife. Well, that's the saddest thing I've ever heard in my entire life. It is. But I think this brings up a good point about all of the relationships that we see in all of these movies is that there just isn't enough substance. Mm -hmm. I really feel like in each of these films, the relationships are based on infatuation. Well, let's get to the movie that has the biggest problem in that, Uh in my opinion. Yes. Let's, Let's meet in the middle here on Notting Hill. From the creators of Four Weddings and a Funeral, comes an unlikely romance. Anna's a goddess. You know what happens to mortals who get involved with the gods. Between two very different people. The fame thing isn't really real, you know. I live in Notting Hill, you live in Beverly Hills. Everyone in the world knows who you are. I'm also just a girl standing in front of a boy asking him to love her. In a place called Notting Hill. By Roger Michelle. It won a BAFTA for the Audience Award of Most Popular Film. It holds an 83% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, the review it was a massive hit. This is on Julia Roberts at like the height of her stardom. Hugh Grant cresting into the height of his st- mm-hmm, stardom. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was uh, just a, a massive, huge movie. My parents saw this movie at least twice, uh, and they loved the roommate. The roommate was like everyone's America. He everyone's is America's very favorite funny. Part of the movie. He is very good. Um, the reviews were tepid, uh, I discovered in doing some research. My favorite was uh, by James Sanford. Curtis's dialogue may be much snappier than his sometimes dawdling plot, but the first hour of Notting Hill is so beguiling and consistently funny, it seems churlish to complain the rest is merely good. Uh, the movie clocks in at a tidy two hours and ten minutes, which is, is about 20 minutes too long. Uh and is, if you don't know, uh, the story of Julia Roberts plays ostensibly herself, mm-hmm. but a famous, the most famous movie actress in the world, which she was at the time. And uh, through a series of pretty believable machinations, I thought, she winds up meeting Hugh Grant, who runs a tiny bookshop in and lives in the neighborhood of Notting Hill mm-hmm. in London. And they, she winds up in his house uh, and then they end up starting a relationship and then that causes all kinds of problems for both of them. The, but speaking of relationships founded on nothing, uh, this is a striking example of that. What in the hell gets these two people together? Hugh Grant's hair. She kisses him. I'd forgotten this. Like it was honestly one of those things. I thought, like within the first like thirty minutes of meeting each other, I thought they met each other. Mm-mm. She was infatu, like he was infatuated with her, and she was very nice. And I, I remembered like they had that scene. The I like the extended sequence where they go to her his sister's uh, birthday party. Yeah, that's a really funny sequence. Again with. The guy from Downton Abbey, Hugh Bonneville, mm-hmm. uh, the guy from Tim McInerney from Blackadder, uh, the woman who was in Vicar of Tipley, mm-hmm. like all these same people. Um, but I thought they didn't get together until where she runs away because of the scandal and ends yeah. up in his that, And she's hiding there for a little in while. In my memory, they spent a lot of time together and nope. that's how she falls in love with him. No, she just kisses him in yep. the first like 20 minutes for no reason. Mm-hmm. My biggest criticism about... Well, not my biggest criticism. I'm not going to make that claim. I got a lot. I just don't think that Julia Roberts is given any material to make this character interesting at all. I don't understand why she does any of the things she does. I don't understand, like, why she's making these choices beyond just kind of feeling like 
she's oppressed by her managers and her famous person schedule and like wants to do something reckless. But even when she does something that could be like reckless if her agents found out, it's not that reckless. Well, if who found, and then the worst happens. Yeah. Like the worst thing in the world happens to her. It, it, it's something that was like novel in 1997 where, <sighs> or 1999, What's that like? pardon me, I know, where um, nude video of her is discovered and mm-hmm. it looks like she did a porno, which like would have ended her career. Yeah. And I like, like there's moments in it where, I'm, again, I get glimpses of what they're going for. Like when she f- thinks Hugh Grant's the one who got all the reporters to the house. Yeah. And she has this like very paranoid screaming fit at him mm-hmm. and you see a little bit of like oh wow like she has prop like her life is so messed up that like this is how she feels mm-hmm. but it, again it's I mean, we know it's but not you true. don't know enough to understand any right of it. it doesn't ever like you never understand i'm like i just think of the way richard curtis writes women they are not fully fleshed out characters I think in this movie, the the problem is that none of them are fully fleshed out characters. Fair. I don't know why Hugh Grant does what he does. I know he loves her because, like, he he's infatuated with her because she's a movie star. That yeah. I get. But what is she, what is happens in the course of them spending time together that makes him who is seemingly a very sensitive, like emotionally damaged, nice guy kind of man fall for her and then what like and do i don't know it's just all kind of like it just doesn't he's the nice guy he's the nice normal guy she's the famous woman we put them together something 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 you know like step three's blank for they get married like that's really how it feels to me is it just doesn't i it's I, a lot of really funny scenes that don't yeah. connect um i wrote in my notes conspiracy theory richard curtis is Hugh Grant, meaning that Richard <laughs> Curtis is writing what he wishes his life was. Does not have to be based in fact, does not have to be based yeah. in like reality that like Richard Curtis would really like it if someone walked into his bookshop who was a famous movie star and then <laughs> spent the time with him. Yeah. And just hung out. I thought he was great. Like, uh, yeah. I mean I literally I just looked at my notes again. There's a note that says, Oh, we're just kissing now. Yeah, it really when they walked in. I for like for a movie again, this is the opposite problem, Bridget Jones. For a movie this long, like you'd think you'd, yeah. have, you'd have the time to develop or to like this relationship. I mean, this formula has been done so many times, so why are we having a hard time like having a deep, honest conversation at some point, like two-thirds of the way through the movie where you fully understand who this person is as a human. Like, if we can do this formula on The Bachelor, we can do this in a full-blown, right. like, screenplay. Big budget Hollywood <laughs> movie. And it, it, it also all, the, like, the movie's so fractured with, like, they're together, they're not together, she's around, she's not around, she likes him, she doesn't like him. He mm-hmm. just sort of drifts through the movie. And quite I- literally, in one scene that gets a lot of praise where it's like, nine months or whatever yeah like walking. that was a cool it's thing, a cool scene like, but cinematically. It, like, he is stuck in this street Waiting. in london not doing anything and he does like i understand part of that is so that at the end when they have the chase through the streets and he ends up at the press conference which is a nice callback like having to loudly and publicly talk about how much he cares for her mm-hmm. that's all supposed to be like oh he can do that now i didn't feel that way at i all. did not like draw that from that scene at all yeah it, it wasn't like oh wow he has confidence now i was like 
oh wow this is uncomfortable because yeah. she should probably just have a quiet conversation but the, thing, the thing that makes me mad about this movie almost is the fact that there are some jokes in it and some scenes that are truly great and I wrote the most quotes down from this movie yeah, because I, and I mean, like there's like a crying emoji next to it or like a smiley face. They go and they run the gamut from like him, Spike, coming into the room, eating something out of a cup, going, there's something wrong with this yogurt. It's not yogurt. It's mayonnaise. All oh, right. There we are. Then. And he keeps eating it. <laughs> it's just a great, that's a great throwaway But then moment. you have like the lines like, I'll regret this forever. Right. I will feel the opposite. If that's okay by you. And uh, always be glad that you came to stay. And it's like, yeah. oh my heart. It so it's, I mean, there's some good scenes. Dylan Morin as the thief at the beginning who sticks the book down his pants. Yeah, is, that was funny. It was really funny. There's a lot of good scenes. I, it's like a perfect uh tv movie like like you say you pop it on tv like oh yeah. this is where we're at something funny is gonna happen in 20 minutes it's yeah. worth hanging out till the first commercial. i mean it's definitely it's like just like an enjoyable film do yeah. i think it shows us lessons that we should take with us the rest of our lives absolutely not <clears throat> no do i think there's like a decent amount of um like there's like some fat shaming in here there's like falling oh, in love gosh, with yeah. people there's fat shaming everywhere there's yes. falling in love with people you barely know alec baldwin makes an appearance like <laughs> uncredited cameo by alec baldwin is it an uncredited cameo? yeah he's uncredited that's her <gasps> really? boyfriend yeah yeah i have to say i uh at the point in rewatching this movie uh this was the this was towards the uh third glass of wine sure and so my notes just say in all capitals mm-hmm. alec baldwin alec it's a great entrance too. he just like pops in yes and so surprising yeah. also i mean and at the time huge i mean like big movie star alec yeah baldwin. this is like peak how is he uncredited then it was he just did it it was just a bit he just came in to do That's it so weird as a cameo basically um as her famous, like, because you never know what his name is. You just need to know he's a famous, he's famous American accent. Yeah. So it's famous American actor, Alec Baldwin. That's also, did so you notice funny. during the press junket scene uh, where he's interview- having to interview all the people from Horse and Hound, uh, or as the guy from Horse and Hound, um, yeah. the girl, the young girl. Is this your first film? No, it's my 22nd. Of course it is. Any favorites among the 22? Working with Leonardo. Da Vinci. DiCaprio. Is Misha Barton from the OC? No. Yeah. <gasps> That's funny. Yeah. I didn't, I know, I recognized her this time and was like, I did I'm going to quickly Google and there she was. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah, that was pretty funny. Yeah. It's, it, it's you know, yeah, anyway, it, it, it's a movie that I think. It's I, fine. It's fine. Like, That's it's exactly fine. exactly right. It's fine. There's nothing great about it. I'll watch it. Like if, if my wife said, I want to watch Notting Hill, but yeah, I'll pop that in. Yeah. I can, you're going to fall asleep, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> I'll turn it off when we're done. But there's enough good stuff in it to make it, but it does not hang. It really. No, it does not hold up. So now here we are. Mm-hmm. We are here at Four Weddings and a Funeral. Hugh Grant and Andy McDowell invite you to Four Weddings and a Funeral from the creators of Enchanted April and Black Adder. Almighty God bless you all, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Spirit. 1994, directed by Mike Newell, who also made other movies such as uh, Donnie Brasco. It was nominated for Academy Awards for Best Picture and Best Original Screenplay. It was a very surprising nomination in 94. Uh, 
Forrest Gump won that year. It was also the year Pulp Fiction was nominated. Mm-hmm. Uh, it won four BAFTAs, Best Film, Best Direction, Best Actor for Hugh Grant, and Best Supporting Actress for Kristen Scott Thomas. It was nominated for six more, including screenplay, two Supporting Actor nominations, one for Simon Callow and one for John Hanna, and another Supporting Actress nomination for Charlotte Coleman. It was also nominated for Best Editing and Best Film Music. I will pause at this point and say Charlotte Coleman, who plays Scarlet in the movie, uh, died in 2001 from an asthma attack, which oh. is a like, she's so funny in this movie and so good. And her career was tragically cut short um, by asthma, which is just very sad not to yeah. break it down. Uh, movie certified at 96% fresh on uh, Rotten Tomatoes. Again, I think that's an unreliable number because of when it came out. Unreliable metric. Uh, and just a quick fact for our Love Actually fans. So the reason that Bill Nye sings Christmas is all around, the parody of Love is all around, or rewrite really, is because it was on the soundtrack of this movie performed by the band Wet Wet Wet. It was originally performed by the Trogs and then performed by Wet Wet Wet. It hit number one in the UK singles charts and stayed there for 15 weeks. It was the ninth biggest selling b- single of all time in Britain in 1994. It is now the 12th. It has dropped a few slots, but still. I screamed it is, when it started when playing. When it started playing. It is in the movie. It's nothing. No. It's and you, nothing. And you hear this wedding band doing a couple different songs. Right. And then the second you hear like those started like love is all around. I just, yeah. I was like, <gasps> and it's, but it was, uh, they put it on the soundtrack. They released it as a single. One. And it was huge yeah absolutely huge you mentioned soundtrack i will say you put it in one of our notes that the one of the themes is bad music yes i did and i i think the music and all no i have so much fun i have so much fun with all of them i am bopping along they are like the the most like stereotypical songs to put in these places but i am like yes let's rock out i think let's go on an emotional journey i think the song the scores all sound the same they do and the scores are not what I'm concerned about. I'm saying soundtracks. But no, and the I'm also the soundtracks about, like, are a bop. Uh, Elton John's cover of whatever they're writing songs of love, but not for me at the beginning. I think it's just terrible. I think his closing number is terrible. I think it's all bad <laughs> all the time. I uh, had a great time. I'm, I'm so glad you did. But not with this movie. Well, but so with here's the music. Thing. So this movie is one. Four weddings and a funeral came out when I was 14. It is one of my favorite movies, full stop. And I realized this time uh, watching it what a tremendous influence it was on me as a writer, in mainly in terms of comedy, but also in terms of how I like to structure, uh, like what I learned about how you give away information, how you foreshadow things, how you hint at stuff, the way you can link stories together. It's all very... Very influenced by this movie, which is an epiphany I had the other day watching it again. And I was so excited to talk about it. And then you <laughs> like came into crush my living your room. Hopes. No, we're still going to talk about it. But you didn't like Four Weddings and a Funeral. In terms of which one I liked best, I like Bridget Jones best. Then Notting Hill is right. like fine. We've accepted right, we've that as the that. middle of the road. And then Four Weddings is my least favorite. But I, I think okay. it is, I think it is very much shaped by where I am at this point in my life. So mm-hmm. I attended seven weddings this past year. Right. And this is four weddings yes, and a funeral. And a funeral. Um, and I just felt the whole time in a similar way to what I did with Bridget Jones of like, am I being attacked right now? 
is this a criticism of me? <laughs> I also think, once again, this relationship is based in nothing. I don't understand why Hugh Grant like ends up with her. I don't like that he leaves Duckface at the altar. I don't like that they kill off the most compelling character. I just, I was never like, Fully on board. I think the timelines of people getting married are like very odd. That is bonk. I noticed and that this jarring. time. I was like, it, it was like three months later. It's on some website I looked at mapped it out, and it was Mm-mm. like, yeah, the the gap between the first two weddings is way too short. The gap between the first and last weddings it makes a lot of sense, like in terms of it, it, the. Like, but if you put the gap between like when he um decides to start dating Duckface and then marries Duckface. Like that's yeah. like ten months. It's a like, tight that's well like, yes it is. What are very, you all doing in that time? How do you plan a wedding? How that do fast? you plan a wedding that having, fast? Having done it myself. But <laughs> yes, so the timeline is very compressed for the movie. Uh mm-hmm. no question about that. So counterpoint <laughs> I think this is the only movie where I, I I take your your point that I don't know why Hugh Grant and Andy McDowell end up together but i get it more than i do in the other two movies i they spend well because there are several times they get together there are several times that they sleep together they sleep together they spend the day search shopping for her wedding dress which Which is is a horrible activity um it's true it's a bonding moment where he's wearing that wonderful shirt shorts combination. Those shorts so are hysterical. I did write those it's down. I was like, shorts? So great. Short shorts. And like uh, Sperry Topsiders. It's great. It's a great costume. It's a mess. Um, I, I I don't know. Maybe it's just that I buy their chemistry more well, than Well, let the me others. ask you this question because this is feeling or like... maybe a... it's just I've seen the movie 50 times. Well, no, no, no. I think it's about when you've seen it. Yeah. When you saw it at a point in your life because yeah. this feels very similar to a conversation you and I had on an original cast episode <gasps> about the musical Wicked. Yes. And you were asking... That's true. Is this musical good because it's good or is it good because you love it and 14 year old Beth can't let go of it. And the answer was 14 year old Beth will not let go of it. Mm -hmm. So can 14 year old Patrick let go of four weddings and a funeral? Yeah, probably not. It was a, it was a stunning kind of movie for somebody who loves British comedy, Mm -hmm. comedy, British comedy, and really likes at the time, really liked romantic comedies in, I mean, I was a huge Woody Allen fan at that point, and it was the kind of comedy I liked. Comedies about the the interpersonal relationships between people. Mm-hmm. Another big movie from the same period for me, which is another movie I still love and which I think holds up better, is Strictly Ballroom. Have you ever seen Strictly? No, Ballroom? that's really good. Um, we can decide if it holds up, though. We, we have should. that power. We have that power. Um, so no, you, you're certainly right. Fourteen year old Patrick thought this movie was hilarious, and Patrick, I, I mean, this was a I own this movie on VHS. I bought it twice on DVD um, because <laughs> they came up with a special edition that had other stuff on it. Fun. Um, I've watched this movie endlessly, like over and over and over again, and yeah. know every single line from it, which was kind of a shock last night watching it, being like, oh, yeah, I know everything that happens. You know exactly what's about to happen. Um, and I think a lot of it has to do with this is the movie to me of all the ones we watched with the most compelling characters. The central love story between Hugh Grant and Annie McDowell to me is almost secondary I can, to the I wonderful can menagerie of, of characters from his group of friends and then trickling out to all the wedding guests and all the people who 
we meet like the couple we meet at the first wedding who get married in the second wedding. Yeah. They're great. David Haig is one of my favorite British actors that nobody knows who he is. To like even the old guy from the first wedding who's at the head table. How'd you do? My name is Charles. Don't be ridiculous. Charles died 20 years ago. It must be a different Charles, I think. Are you telling me I don't know my own brother? No, no. Who then pops back up at Charles' mm-hmm. wedding for reasons that I don't understand. Bride or groom? It should be perfectly obvious I'm neither. Great God. <laughs> it's just so funny. In terms of movie... <laughs> You're just still laughing about I that. I'll laugh about it all day. Uh, <laughs> I love it. I definitely think in terms of the which of these films has the most fleshed out characters besides Love Actually, like this one meets ensemble cast for me. Mm-hmm. And that I think if if I maybe looked at it through the lens of like putting Hugh Grant and Andy McDowell secondary, maybe that would help watching I, I, it again. It also has the thing I really like. I mean, this is also, you're right, foundational tastes were being like formed at mm-hmm. this part. I love a movie that, and, and a play, a story, anything, that is really ultimately about competing ideas, but on an emotional level. This mm-hmm. is, a, every single character has their own opinion about the way love should go and what love should be. Yes. And they are all tested, presented, tested, challenged, and ultimately sort of oddly refuted. Like everybody ends up in a place they didn't expect to end up. Yeah. Based on the way they started at the beginning. I mean, the best, the cleanest example is, um, I can't remember anybody's name in this movie. I don't know anyone's name in Um, any of his movies. It's, uh, the character's name is Tom, who is um, Kristen Scott Thomas's brother, who's the sort of dopey friend, who, after the funeral, has that lovely conversation. The truth is, unlike you, I I never expected the Thunderbolt. I always just hoped that, that I'd meet some nice, friendly girl like the look of her. Hope the look of me didn't make her physically sick. Then pop the question and um, settle down and be happy. It worked for my parents. Well, apart from the divorce and all that. And then he meets this woman at Charles's wedding and they have this instantaneous connection and mm-hmm. fall madly in love with each other. And he says that. He's like, God, Thunderbolt City. Like it, yeah. And it's this beautiful thing of like, it's all true. Like everybody's right. There's the practicalities of it. There's the fact that like mm-hmm. you you've know, got the the best friend who's saying like I've been in love with you, but I know that I can't. Right, that you're not on board, so I'm and just going to continue. She gets over her her problems on her own without having without to jump without to another to person. Jump to another person. Agreed. She just starts wearing color. She starts deciding to be positive. She mm-hmm. also starts getting along with her brother in that great scene at the end when Tom says, "Though." Let's face facts. I, I, I mean, if you weren't sure you wanted to marry her today, uh, of all days, i.e. your wedding day, then it must be the right decision, mustn't it? Quite right, Tom. The character she's been bickering with the whole time. Yeah. They have a nice little moment. Yeah, yeah, There's the great, I mean, uh, the, and obviously the character who, who dies, spoiler alert for this movie, if you've never seen it, Gareth it and, so sad. and Matthew have such a wonderful relationship. Ugh. And then, and Matthew's beautiful, beautiful eulogy oh and that God. heartbreaking poem uh, by uh, W.H. W. Auden um, that I, he delivers is just like. It's so beautiful. I wanted to ask you, um, like, do you have any concept of how this relationship was received at the time? Like, I feel like watching these films, there was a part of me thinking like, at what, at, at what point were these like not novel relationships to see? 
It was certainly one of the first, if not the first time I ever saw gay relationship, a gay relationship in a movie where that wasn't a thing. A shtick. Yeah. He was just like the character of of Matthew is gay. It's revealed very early on, mm-hmm. like it, it's in a subtle way. And they, you know, he has this relationship with Gareth that may be sexual or it may just be the fact that they yeah. live with each other. And when they're they at the funeral, they say like his closest friend. But I didn't know if that was a layer because like also you have Gareth's parents here. And did right. Gareth's parents know this about him? What was going on? Yeah, it didn't seem. And Gareth is kind of omnisexual. You know yeah. what I mean? Like he's. It, he's so, fabulous. He is fabulous. He's a great. Uh. He's a great character. And Simon Cowell is a tremendous actor. Uh so, but then also, like at the end, when you have all the pictures of all their weddings, and you have Matthew mm-hmm. with a man who's yeah. either whatever kind of ceremony they were having, it was just it's just the way it was. So it's certainly the first example I can recall of seeing something where it's just like, nope, that's just another person, and they yeah. love this person, and that's what it is. Which, when you're 14 and you're in Catholic school, is a huge like, hey, check that crap out. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. So it was formative for me in that way, certainly. I don't think at the time it was, I don't remember it being talked about, which is another advantage I think British movies have in America. It's like, well, you're quasi-European. We don't have to like, yeah. do things. Because also, the big thing at the end is they don't get married. Mm-hmm. I mean, he says, and again, it's another good line. Like, Do you think, after we've dried off, after we've spent lots more time together, you might agree not to marry me? And do you think not being married to me might maybe be something you could consider doing for the rest of your life? Do you? I do. And then you do see, like, a kind of shot that, like, they've had a child. So, right. you know, there is a certain amount of commitment. Yeah. But it is nice that they Which is also this. Richard Curtis's own situation. He's, he's with, he has a partner he's been with for... 30 some years I believe they have mm-hmm. four kids together they have never been married which is also very common in England like so my conspiracy it. theory of is Hugh Grant Richard Curtis yeah I mean, is I th- correct I, I don't think it's too <laughs> certainly in those two movies in Four Weddings and Notting Hill I think that's a fair assessment to a certain extent because it's not a far leap to be like well I'm writing a romantic comedy and I'm yeah. the lead I would write myself into that yeah or uh, the Hugh Grant version, version of myself. Of myself. Right. The Hugh Grant the version movie. of me. <laughs> the Hugh Grant version. The, the 90s Hugh Grant version. Not the, not the... When did he get caught with a prostitute? When did that happen? When did that happen? Do you not know about that? No, that seems right, though. Oh, my gosh. I want you to keep in mind, my first access point to Hugh Grant, Beyond Love Actually, was uh-huh. the movie Music and Lyrics starring Drew sure, Barrymore. Sure, And really, everything else after that is just kind of like, Hugh Grant's just a person that I know about. You've never seen, you've never seen this picture? No! Oh my gosh! That's horrifying. This so this happened. He looks so ashamed. Well, oh. so he was married to uh, Elizabeth Hurley. Oh, she's great. Yeah, I mean, this is like a star-studded Hollywood couple. Mm-hmm. We're both British, obviously. Mm-hmm. It was 1995. Wow! Wow! So he he made a comeback after this movie came. He made out. a comeback. Bonkers. He, that feels early then, because his... It's very early to me. But he he had a kind of meteoric... He was already a quasi-successful British actor when Four Weddings came out. He became a huge star. Yeah. And in America, too, started doing tons of stuff. Mm-hmm. So he... 
but the the reason it sticks in the memory, aside from the fact that, so he got caught in California, got arrested in L.A. in the street in a car with a prostitute, Oop. and was married at the time. Uh, the thing that happened, the like interesting tidbit in all this, is it was right after Johnny Carson uh, left the Tonight Show, and there was the kerfuffle where they gave the Tonight Show to Jay Leno, and then Letterman went to CBS and started the Late Show. Mm-hmm. This is all relevant because. Right at the beginning of that, Letterman was killing Leno in the ratings. Absolutely killing him. Like, it was not even a competition. And then, totally by coincidence, Hugh Grant was booked to appear on The Tonight Show with Jay Leno two days after he got arrested. Ooh. And instead of canceling... He did it. He did it. You need to watch it. The I'm drama. Sure it's, on YouTube. it's one of the few things I've ever, like... We taped it in my house. Like, it was oh a, like... God. It was appointment television. It was just on 1130 and we were all asleep. But, like, we all watched it. And Hugh Grant does a really good job of like he comes out to like pretty tepid like a pl- like, like for a t- for a talk show he comes out smattering it's like of... virtually silent for a talk show where, where it's like screaming and he like sits down and Leno forget this Leno's like let me start with question number one <laughs> what the hell were you thinking. <laughs> That's so funny you didn't know about no, that. No, I um, have no idea. Breaking news. It's so... <laughs> breaking news. So, yes. Yeah, the, the part where it falls apart for me from a writing standpoint is when she's getting married. I get why, like, that happens in the course of the movie. They obviously have to go to her wedding. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it has to be a thing. And you also have to have a reason why Hugh Grant would get together with Duckface. Uh, but it, even that comes out of left field for me. It, yes, it does. And it, I, mean, I like that she gets two appearances before the finale that she's like crying and we and like sobby and then we see her again and she's totally like says she's self-actualized and she has a boyfriend and she's yeah. like doing okay and then like it's that kind of movie where it's vignette and we're I driving know. people but the um and also like you learn okay i'm gonna, I'm gonna come back to that point that's, a, mm-hmm. that's a, another thing but like i i don't know why she's marrying hamish i no. never and she never she doesn't say anything nice Never about talk. him. She doesn't say anything about him at all until they're divorced. And then she's like, It's absolutely the last time I marry someone three times my age. Charlie? It's like, well, duh. Well, yes, Don't do that. That, that feels like common really, sense. Really, I would have loved one scene where Hugh Grant says, why? why are you marrying him? And she gives him an answer. It can be a bad it answer. It could have even been like, an he's rich. Yeah. And I want this. And I need, well, just any, you could, you can write that in a way that's not, doesn't make her seem shallow. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, this is what marriage is. Marriage is security. Marriage mm-hmm. is like, you don't, you, like we fool, yep. ar- I fool yep. around with you because I like you. We but can you make that argument. But like, there's, there's so many reasons she could have married him and we don't know any of them. I know. We don't know any of them at all. I wrote down this note, which I find very amusing knowing that I wrote this while drinking wine. Um, it says, I am infuriated by this woman and the costume designer who put Hugh Grant in those shorts. Fuck a doodle do indeed. I love those shorts. <laughs> but so we watched these these three movies to give us a sense of where uh, Mr. Curtis is in his career when he makes Love Actually. Mm-hmm. And to see if we could come up with anything that... Any commonalities we saw among the four movies. I think that he's got like some easy grabs of yeah. commonalities with like... You know, these relationships aren't based on a lot of substance. Right. There's a lot of fat shaming. Yes. Um, there's a lot of like references to Americans being either like 
I, yeah, that's funny. You I, pointed that out, and I hadn't thought of it. It was like, oh, well, that's definitely love, actually, and it's definitely in four mm-hmm. weddings. It's and then everywhere. I was like, no, it's in Notting Hill, mm-hmm. and it's in Bridget Jones. It's in the Americans are like presented as this other, and it's, sometimes it's like they're the bad guys, or sometimes they're this unattainable goal. And it's interesting yeah. to me because I think from it's exotic, uh, yes, which is so weird. <laughs> from an American filmmaking point of view, you don't. I mean, I guess we do well, but, that, but, but also. I it was, was so interesting. It's really funny every now and again to see movies like this, to see not so much to find out how other people view you, but to like see that like at Carrie's wedding in Four Weddings and a Funeral, she's from somewhere in the South, never really mm-hmm. met. There's a tall uh, Texan man who ends up with, uh, with, the, with the Scarlet. The roommate, yeah. Who says his name is, is Rhett, which is a great like, it's funny. it's a good joke. Um, and they end up together at the end. But then also, like, Matthew is in the corner with a, with a evangelical Christian from Minnesota. Mm-hmm. And I was really like, is this what British... Like, if I wrote a it's British scene, I would be like, I'm so-and-so from Yorkshire and so-and-so from Cambridge. This and so, is that And people variation. would be like, why are these people all over the place? It's just because I have names. Like, I have words. But yes, it is... I just wonder if it's one of those things where, like, that's just... He's British and it's America. And like, so you don't have to worry about so the worry geography about the fact of that, it. Like, Texas and Minnesota are really very far apart. different places. I wrote down an inexplicable inciting romantic incident happens yes. in all these. Like I don't know. I wrote down sexual harassment as a common mm-hmm. theme. In sexual all these harassment movies. was is. there sexual harassment in four weddings and a funeral? Because I wrote down there wasn't, but I'm not mm. as as a straight white man, not the best gauge of that. So That's I wanted fair. to double let me, check. Let me briefly look through my my notes. It does not look like I noted anything. I mean, because all the scenes, almost all of them take place entirely at weddings where everybody is just friends and family. Yeah, I think in in lieu of having sexual harassment in this film, we just get people who are sexually charged at weddings. Yes, highly charged (laughs) at weddings. Uh, So he doesn't have to reach that hard That's true. I wrote terrible music, and you commented. (laughs) I think the music in all the movies. You do think it's Including in Love Actually. I think it's all bad. A group of friends, which may not seem like a huge thing, but there's a way he puts together a group of friends in mm-hmm. these three movies that is then interestingly expanded on to me in love actually, yes. where he breaks the friends up over a couple different storylines mm-hmm. and then uses the dynamic to bring them together in ways that are like, Oh, that's neat. You know, yeah. You kind of go, oh, that's neat. So the group of friends thing seems to be uniquely Richard Curtis romantic comedy crutch. Mm-hmm. We it, have to have some quirky friends. We have to have some opinions. Um, I noticed that there is a lot of kissing in the elements in all of his films. They a lot are, of climactic kissing a, in like the Like the yeah. uh, end of Bridget Jones' Diary is her running out in the snow and then making out in the street in the snow. The end of Four Weddings is them running out in the street and then making in the out in the rain. Pouring rain. Very rainy. Which is also like there's a the line she has where she says, Is it raining? I hadn't even noticed. Yeah. Is like, one that I've read that people have complained about of being like, Oh, she's so in love that she doesn't know that it's raining. I always took it to be a joke. Oh, yeah. I would think that it's she's a, just being like, Is it ra-? like, cause like she's just I, being she doesn't silly. care? They're covered, but also that like. He's like we're standing in the rain, and it's it's raining so hard that she's like, "Oh, is it raining?" Like in that, like it's a bit. He does like a dramatic ending though, and he does like there to be weather involved. So we have in the Kira Knightley plot, they kiss in the snow. They kiss in the snow. In, I mean, I guess they're kissing in the snow in Wisconsin too. In Wisconsin, sort of. Um, yeah, I mean, but it's and then is there one in? Oh, in Notting Hill, I said at the end. 
they're not kissing, Mm-mm. but they're in that park. Yeah. They're out in nature at the You've end. You've got a nice nature ending. Yeah. It's... To show like they're relaxed. Yeah. Like there's been a resolution. Their love doesn't need to depend on the elements. There they're is gonna... a certain amount of weather following emotional mm-hmm. beats. Mm-hmm. Rain comes at moments of high emotion, like high emotional sadness. Yeah. Or snow, the sun comes out when things... Yeah, so he has that kind when of... When Bridget Jones is driving really dramatically to get to the party when she finds out right, that... Right, that it was Hugh Grant. And yeah, that it Hugh wasn't the cheating that. scandal she thought it was. Like, right. it's really snowy. Right. Um. One. This is another thing that was mentioned in a few movies, which is so inconsequential, but it just, I think, tells you who Richard Curtis is. It's They mentioned fatal attraction. Yes. A couple different times. Yes, they do. And you're going to be horrified, but... I didn't know how Fatal Attraction ended. Oh, you see it in Bridget Jones. And you sure do. And I was like, they mentioned Fatal Attraction earlier, and then they show the scene with Glenn Close. And I was like, I just Google like, Glenn Close, shot, shower, boop, boop. And I was like, oh, oh, I know how it ends now. You kind of know how it ends from the beginning. I'm not going to like, you're media savvy yeah. enough to watch Fatal Attraction and be like, well, I think probably. <laughs> I think this is how it's I going to end. I think kill the woman. I'm pretty certain, given a choice, that's that how they end this seems fair. But it was when I was <laughs> watching it, I was like, I never picked up on this before. And now having watched a bunch of Richard Curtis films in a row, I was yeah. like, he really likes this movie. Mm-hmm. What does that say about yeah. him? Well, Fatal Attraction was a... I think when he started writing, you would have not found that to be an unusual reference mm. for a, it was a huge hit of a movie. Yeah. And I think it's an easy one to be like, listen, she's going to go all fatal attraction on you. Like, that's a thing I remember from That's sitcoms. like a phrase. Yeah. And There's an article that we read that said. Yes, that you found from The Guardian. Yes, that yeah. is basically saying like, uh, he doesn't treat women as object. He doesn't treat women as human beings. He treats them as objects. They're visions of unattainable loveliness. And then he says at another point, um, the view of a tongue-tied schoolboy idolizing the prettiest girl in class. That sets Curtis's work apart from When Harry Met Sally, Annie Hall, and His Girl Friday, and other great romantic comedies. That he has this immature view of women and ultimately an immature view of love in the way he writes it. Mm-hmm. That it is about the idea of just getting this thing that you know you want because love is good. Yeah. And you don't dig into all of the reasons why these people should love each other and do love each other. Right. And that is a romantic comedy for you. <laughs> yes. But I think the romanticism gets in the way. And I think the romanticism is tied to the passive sexism. I think we're dealing yes. with an yes. outmoded view of how relationships are supposed to work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that gets into stark relief in Love Actually. And we will certainly be talking about it where it feels the most the most out of place yeah. to me. Again, all these movies leading up to it. We are still dealing at the at the end of the day with one character on their own personal romantic journey, which mm-hmm. you can agree with or not. In Love Actually, we have nine stories, a thousand characters. Yes. And there's uh, patterns begin to emerge, which is one of the things we're going to talk about as we take this movie apart of like, co- like co- there are no small characters with tiny arcs. Everybody has an arc. Yes. Everybody has a journey. And Buckle we're going to follow them all. Yeah. And it's going to be something to see like how 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 bad does it get <laughs> yeah there's the ones everybody knows but i feel like if you start to tear it apart if we start to peel this onion we're gonna find it stinks well and i i wrote down like i'm less sold on believing that love actually is a worthwhile romantic comedy now that i'm looking at it through the rest of his work yeah and before i was feeling 
like I don't know like it's a it's a decent movie like when we've had conversations about is love actually like horribly sexist I haven't necessarily been like oh my god yes and now understanding where Richard Curtis is coming from as a writer I think it's going to be an interesting dive for me now yeah we'll see we'll see we will we will and you can see with us you can hear you can't see you can't see Unless you, you go to our social media channels, right. then maybe then we'll shoot you a picture or something. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I think we did it. I think we've covered Richard Curtis uh, in in all terms. So you're all ready now to dive right into the series proper. Because gonna... ready or not, here we go. Um, we do want to say that uh, we started recording this podcast in the summer of 2019. And we've been recording it uh, as recently as recently as last month so as the ability to record in person became impractical and potentially dangerous uh, we did what all podcasts do and we recorded however we could so uh, which is you know of course the safe thing to do but as a result you may notice a slight difference in audio quality episode to episode but this will not in any way diminish your enjoyment of the podcast it's a delight regardless you can listen to these episodes in any order that you want that's why they all came out at the same time but uh I think you should start with Solomon and Josh watching the movie oh, for the first time. Yes. Get a sense of the whole thing. Then pick your cherry pick your favorite. And if you lines. haven't seen the movie, you should watch you along should with them. Watch the movie. Oh, that's true. And we have then... a the episode contains a preamble before they watched mm-hmm. it. And then we watch the movie. So you can do that. You listen the first like twenty minutes. Yeah. Take a break, watch the movie, mm-hmm. make a day of it. Because it's, it's a it's long a three hour movie. movie. <laughs> and then listen to how they felt afterwards. Just like and, curl up, have know, a agree, disagree. Solomon has some hot takes. Solomon. So does Josh. They... Solomon has some hot takes. <laughs> I may not always love you, but long as there are stars above you, you never need to doubt it. I'll make you so sure about it. God only knows what I'd be without you. What is Love Actually was produced and edited by Patrick Flynn. We are on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Love Actually Pod. You can follow Patrick Flynn at Unknown Penguin. You can follow Beth Amon at Beth Amon13. Please go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating and review. If you'd like to support this podcast, you can find a link to our PayPal in the show notes. I'm Beth Amon. And I'm Patrick Flynn. And remember, there was more than one lobster at the birth of Jesus. God only knows what I'd be with. I'd be with